Um, let's pray together. Let's ask for God's uh, move in our hearts this morning, okay? Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much uh, for this opportunity to, uh, to come together in the name of Jesus. We, we've sung a lot about Jesus this morning, and, and we just want to uh, ask, Lord, that you would um, open our eyes, spiritual eyes, open our hearts to receive the truth. I pray anybody this morning, Lord, that's listening, uh, wherever they are, if they are seeking to understand who the real Jesus is, Lord, that you would help them understand who he really is. Not who Hollywood says he is, not who social media says he is, but the real Jesus of the Bible. And so, Lord, we just ask that you do that. And Lord, I also just pray that uh, for our church family, anybody that's here as well that needs your healing touch physically, Lord, that you would heal them, that uh, heaven would come and touch earth and restore their body. Anybody that's struggling emotionally, maybe they're stressed because of uh, all that's going on in the world, Lord, I just pray that, that you grant them your peace, uh, that they would have first peace with God through Jesus Christ, but then experience the peace of God through your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we just pray. Pray, Lord, for your presence right now to come and bless us, uh, strengthen us, challenge us, um, encourage us, whatever the need is. We ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So um, this morning, what we're doing is we're, we're on our third here in the series called We Believe. And we're going through, uh, we're going through the, uh, using the Apostles' Creed. Uh, as a launching point into the scriptures to talk about some of the core foundations of the Christian faith. So as to help solidify our faith, if we already have faith in Christ, or inform uh, someone who is wanting to know what Christianity is about. And so it works both ways. It can strengthen your faith, solidify it if you already have faith in Christ, or it can help inform you, know what Christianity really is and what the Bible really does teach about how we can have a relationship with God. So we're doing that, and today we're on uh, the phrases in the Apostles' Creed that say the following, uh, I believe in Jesus Christ, uh, His only Son, meaning God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. We're going to talk about those phrases today, talk about the importance of those phrases. Every one is important because they're, they're, they're truth. Okay, and the Apostles' Creed is just simply summarizing scriptural truth. All right, and so um, the one thing I want to get out of the way, and this might kind of seem—I uh, used to have this phrase. My my now brother-in-law Tim Herring used to use this phrase or acronym is MOTO. Anybody know what MOTO stands for? Master of the obvious. Okay, Master of the obvious. And uh, now, if you've been around churches for a while this is going to seem like master of the obvious kind of question or things to talk about. But I feel like so many people think that Jesus' last name is Christ, okay? That if you were to look in the phone book or look him up on an internet search, you'd look for the last name Christ. No, that's not it. But his first name, Jesus, is his proper name. And we find that in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, which says the following. Um, testifying and prophesying about Jesus coming. It says, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, okay, for he will save his people from their sins, because the name Jesus has within the meaning of it, you know, God saves, 
okay? And so, uh, but, but his, his proper name, you know, if you would say, you know, hey, Nikhil, or, you know, whatever, or hey, Greg, hey, Linda, you know, it would be, hey, Jesus, right? It, that's his name. Christ is his title, is a title, okay? It's important for us to understand that. Uh, and if you uh, take a look in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, it says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So it says God has made him both Lord and Christ. And so Christ is a title, all right? And, and it has to do with authority and God's appointing Christ as the Savior King, right? The one whom God's people should have been looking for, right? To come and save them from their sins, the Messiah. And so that's all wrapped up in Christ, the title. So um, anyway, so it's almost like, you know, if you say Johnny the blacksmith, right? Uh, or something like that. This is Jesus the Christ, okay? It's his title, one of many. Um, now, let me just, I want to share something from you that um, when I, in my studies of this, kind of connected me up with something that I've, I've, I've looked at before, but never in the context of talking about Jesus as being the Christ. And that is this, that wrapped up in the title of Christ also carries with it the claim that Jesus fulfilled all three ministries for which men were anointed in the Old Testament. Prophet, priest, and king. I don't know if you've ever heard this before, that Jesus Christ fulfills those roles that when you look back into the Old Testament, right, let's talk about them, all right, let's talk about these for a second, um, this prophet, priest, and king thing. Well, prophet in the Old Testament was a messenger of God, right, a messenger of God. In fact, let me just read something to you. It says, as prophet, Jesus pronounced an end to all sin. In the Old Testament, the prophet was the mouthpiece of God to the people. In fact, the prophet often, often prefaced his words by saying, thus says the Lord, right? Kind of an authoritative statement, like what I'm going to tell you comes directly from God, right? Uh, as God's mouthpiece, um, the prophet spoke the words of indictment sometimes against people for their sin, right, in the Old Testament, and he called them to repentance, sometimes the prophet would, and at times he would pronounce the forgiveness and pardon of God at different times, okay? Now, Jesus, as the final and sufficient prophet, if you will, has done all these for us. Uh, he came not just to proclaim the Word of God, He is the Word of God. We're going to talk about that too this morning and Jesus' identity. Uh, but Jesus is not, wasn't discommunicating the Word of God. He actually is called the Word of God in John chapter 1. And so He came into the world because of sin, right? He proclaimed our need to repent and believe on Him. And he proclaimed our pardon and forgiveness for sin if we receive him as our Savior. So do you see how he, he really does fulfill that role in a sense of, of prophet like it was in the Old Testament, but in a greater way? Now, the other thing I mentioned was priest, right? Is that Jesus is the ultimate high priest as we look into the Old Testament and then look at his fulfillment of that in the New. Listen to this. As priest, Jesus offered himself as the sacrifice for all sin. In the Old Testament, the high priest was the mediator between the holy God and his sinful people. And as mediator, the high priest entered the holy place 
and offered a sacrifice to God on behalf of the people once a year on what was called the Day of Atonement. So this once a year sacrifice to take care of the sins of the people, all the people, right? And what the priest would do, he would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat. And it says, I quote from Leviticus, because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins, it says in Leviticus 16, 16. And this he did year after year. Now, that's the Old Testament priest. Now, fast forward to Jesus, okay? And uh, Jesus Christ, as our mediator and high priest, not only offered the sacrifice once for all, but he was the sacrifice. Isn't that crazy? He's not only the priest going to offer the sacrifice, but he himself was the sacrifice on the cross. And like the priest of old, Christ offered, he entered the holy place. But unlike the high priest, he entered to offer himself, and he had to enter only one time, for he sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat of God. And listen to what the writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews chapter 9, 11 to 14, when it talks about Jesus being a greater high priest. It says, But when Christ appeared as our high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. In other words, we didn't have to keep going back to the cross year after year, right? His sacrifice was perfect once for all who would receive him, right? And then it goes on to say here, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And um, if you don't know much about the book of Hebrews, it's really all about Jesus is greater than everything. He's greater than all of these things in the Old Testament that foreshadowed him coming in, in every way. Um, that doesn't lessen the things that, you know, that God was doing in the Old Testament, but they're all pointing to this fulfillment uh, in a greater way in Jesus Christ. He is our high priest. He offered the sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins, and it, and it would count for anyone who puts their faith in him. So prophet, priest, and now king. Now king. A king, one who rules and reigns over God's people, right? As king, Jesus rules in such a way as not to allow sin to reign over us any longer. Uh, in fact, you know, it, it, he canceled uh, the power of sin in our lives, right? It, it only allows whatever power we let it, okay? It's almost like the jail door is open, but if I want to stay in the cell, I can, if I choose to, or I can walk in freedom if I choose to by the grace of God, amen? And so this is what... Uh, so, so now when you think about the Old Testament monarchy, okay, uh, the prototype king David comes to mind, right? Uh, the ultimate king in the Old Testament. No king was ever as beloved as he was. He was God's vice regent among the people of God. With David on the throne, the nation of Israel could say, all is well, right? He was a great king in many ways. I mean, he had his issues, we know that, but yet um, he was a man after God's heart, right? And so, and so a few things comfort a nation more than having a ruler of righteousness and strength sitting on the throne of power. 
And David was much of the time that, okay? He was God's man. Um, David that, uh, um, and David administered justice and equality to all the people, it says in 2 Samuel 8.15. So he's a, he was a good king, right? Now, Christ, however, when we have a king greater than David, right? Jesus Christ himself. Uh, Christ came in the line of David as, uh, as scriptures say, as David's son, right? Because he came after, but yet we know he was before. <laughs> we'll get to that in a little bit. Sounds like we just did a time warp there, back to the future or something. Um, but at any rate, um, Jesus is described as the ruler of the kings of the earth in Revelation 1.5, and king of kings and lord of lords in Revelation 19.16. Uh, that means even king over David, Right? He rules with perfect justice and equity, all right? And as our king, Jesus has fought our battles and now rules in such a way that sin never can reign over us if we know him as Savior. Amen. Um, And this is borne out in Romans chapter 6, 7 to 14. So I just wanted to show that that title Christ has so much behind it, all right? And when we say Jesus the Christ or Jesus Christ, know that when we even say the creed, it means much more than a word, right? He is our prophet, priest, and king. He is the sent one, the anointed one of God, the Messiah, okay? In each of those offices, prophet, priest, and king, Jesus fulfills our deepest needs. Think about this. What do a sinful people need? What do a sinful people need to be brought into a right relationship with the Holy God? Well, first is we need information. (laughs) We need to know about God. And Jesus, it says, told us all about God. Okay? You want to know about God? Learn about Jesus. Read the scriptures, right? Uh, Jesus has made him known. Okay? So we needed information. But being estranged from God because of our sin, we need a priest to reconcile us and give us the gift of forgiveness like Jesus did on the cross. Jesus is our great high priest. He fulfills our need for forgiveness. And lastly, we need a king. We need a king to guide, protect, and strengthen us like Jesus does when we receive him. He'll guide you, right? He is your shepherd king. All right? His sheep know his voice and they hear it and they follow. Okay? That's Jesus. That's the Jesus of the Bible. Do you know him? Right? And so, so there's so much misinformation about who Jesus is. Uh, we're here to set the record straight. Okay? I want you to know what the Bible teaches. All right? Not what Hollywood says, not what social media says. Uh, not what your well-intentioned friend might say. you got to go to the source. got to go to the Scriptures here, okay? And so we know, because of the Scriptures, that Jesus is the Christ, okay? Now, the other thing that we know, as the, the Creed mentions, is that it is God's only Son. God's only Son. Now, this tells us several different things, but the thing I do want to focus in on is that it really does, wrapped up in this, is the idea that Jesus is God. When you think about, and maybe you've heard this, maybe you've been to um, 
a baptism or something, and we baptize somebody in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, or maybe you've been reading one in the New Testament letters, and it, it says some kind of what we call Trinitarian phrase that mentions the Father and then mentions the Son and mentions the Spirit, right? Well, wrapped up in that is this concept that I alluded to called the Trinity, a word not used in the Bible, but the concept is clearly there. And this is the concept. One God expressed in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. Okay? How that's possible, I have no idea. Okay? Men have tried to describe this. Councils have gathered together to try to put it into words over the many centuries and done the best they could, but it always falls short. You know, somebody always tries to come up with an analogy. You know, oh, the Trinity is like an egg, or the Trinity is like the triple point of water. They all fall short, okay? But I understand our desire to try to get a handle on it. But Jesus, being God's only Son, does connect us with the idea that He is God. All right, now, think about this. In John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5 and verse 14, give us a very clear picture of the identity of Jesus, okay? And I want you to hear this. Listen to John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5 first, and then I will also go to verse 14. It says, in the beginning was the Word. Now, keep tracking with what it says about the Word. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Now, when was he with God? In the beginning. And the Word was with God. And then it says, and the Word was God. What? What? I mean, you know, I just say it It's distinct from God the Father. Whatever the Word is, he is distinct from God the Father, but yet he is God. Okay? All right, let's keep going. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. So now we got a pronoun, he. It's not just an it. Okay? He. Um, how many times you just glossed over that, right? Think about this. Verse 3, all things were made through Him. Now, who's Him? The Word, okay? So the Word, He had a role in creation. And then it says, and without Him was not anything made that was made. By the way, He Himself was not made, thank you. He's not a created being, as some believe, okay? If He created everything, He didn't create Himself, Okay? Now, it says, uh, verse 4, in Him was life. So, in the Word is life. If you want life, you've got to go to the Word, whoever He is. And then it says, uh, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Man, I tell you what, I think some of us have probably experienced some dark times in our lives. Okay? You want some light on that? You want some life on that? you got to get connected to whoever the Word is. Well, I wonder who the Word is. I'm so glad you asked. All right, verse 14. Now, in between verses uh, 5 and, and, and 14, it's all about John the Baptist and him coming to give witness to the, to the light and the Word, okay? But uh, 14 nails it. It, it, I, it says, who is the Word, right? It's answering the question, who is the Word? Verse 14 says, and the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh, put on skin, and it says, and dwelt among us. 
Okay, so now we know this word became a person, in a human being, but was God. My mind is exploding, you know. I don't know how that is, but it is, okay. And then it says, and we, as John the writer here, he's saying, we, we the disciples, we have seen His glory. Glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So who did he say is the word? The only Son from the Father. Well, who is that? This is Jesus. Jesus is the word, okay? Jesus has always existed because he's God. He's one with God the Father. And Jesus says many times in many ways, he says, I and the Father are one. Right? So they're, they're both God. There's one God, but yet three uh, persons, distinct persons. It's not like, okay, this is what it's not like. Uh, this relationship in the Trinity is not like um, these superhero characters back that I used to watch in the day, the Wonder Twins. And they would change form. Like, okay, so God is not like, okay, I'm now in the form of the Holy Spirit, or I'm now in the form of Jesus, or I'm now in the form of God the Father. No, there are three distinct persons of the Godhead, but yet one God. All right? Now, I know you want to know, well, how can we know this for sure? I'm so glad you asked that. All right? I'm just anticipating your questions. All right? Now, Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. Jesus' baptism. I've been reading through the Gospel of Matthew in my quiet times. Uh, Matthew chapter 3. We get a wonderful snapshot. You know, if you could take, if we could have had an iPhone back then, and we could have taken video, uh, or even just a snapshot of Jesus' baptism, you would see all three persons of the Godhead in one scene. All right, and listen, listen to this. Listen to what happens at Jesus' baptism. In uh, Matthew chapter three, verse sixteen, it says, "And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he came up from the water." And behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. There's the Holy Spirit in the photo. Okay? And of course, Jesus himself, God the Son, in the photo. Right? All right? Now it says, verse 17, And behold, a voice from heaven. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And this is where we need the video. So you can hear it. Okay? But all three persons of what we call the Trinity, the God are right there. And there's other evidence too. If you look back in Genesis, and, and God is creating man, look what he says. He says, let us create man in our own image. Let us. Hey, you know, grammar matters. Okay, words matter. Uh, I believe, and our church believes, every word here in the Bible is the word of God. So that pronoun is plural and just verifies and, and, and just shows us that there is a plurality to God. And we see that in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, uh, We can't explain it. You know, but it is. Okay? All right. So, so Jesus um, 
here we see is, as God's son is he's he's fully God. All right. And if you didn't believe that so far, let me give you another verse. Colossians 2.9, for in him, meaning in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In, in other words, you want to know what God's like? You look at Jesus. The New Living Translation of that verse, Colossians 2.9 says, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Okay? In a human body. And so, there we have it. Jesus, God's only Son, uh, reveals to us that Jesus is fully God. Okay, we, we could go on about it. I mean, there, I mean basically, <laughs> what we're trying to do this morning is uh, systematic theology on Jesus in like 30 minutes. Okay, it's like the impossible task, and we're just hitting the highlights. Um, and, but but I would, what I would say is, um, you know, if, if you want to learn more about this type of thing, and, and, and uh, see, well, I want to know, I want more scripture. I want to know more about the Godhead. Well, really what you want to do is you want to learn what some have called systematic theology, a kind of way of categorizing things. Um, and, and so if you're looking for some resources, I'll try to list some uh, and send some out to everybody uh, here this next week, some basic resources to help you dive a little deeper on this. Um, well, what about the other phrase in the part of the creed we're in today? It calls Jesus our Lord. Our Lord. There is a lot in our Lord, saying our Lord. You know, I think it's easy. And I will say, studying this and even preaching it in the first service, it really has hit me that I sometimes say that word without even thinking about the ramifications. And it really has sobered me up a little bit to think about Jesus as my Lord. Uh, and as our Lord. And I want to talk about that for a little bit. But just so you know, that in the Bible, Jesus is called Lord. Um, we could go many places. But in the book of Acts, when they're proclaiming the gospel, so first century church, gospel's going out, he's called the Lord all the time. A couple places. Acts chapter 2, verse 36 says, So let everyone in Israel know for certain, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Hey, that's a big thing. If you are living in a world where Roman rule is happening right now, which they were, and for you to stand and say, Jesus is Lord, that's treason. Why do I say that? Because Caesar is Lord. Caesar sets himself up to be God. You don't diss Caesar and live to tell about it. Okay? Depending on who the Caesar is. Right? And so I'm just saying, uh, this really meant something to these believers when they stood and proclaimed Jesus as Lord and Messiah. Acts 10.36 says, As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace, through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. Lord of all. Lord of all. Think about that. When I think of Lord, and I'm going to read you something from a text here, a page out of a book that really helps us, I think, get some practical 
thinking about what does it mean when we believe and declare Jesus is Lord, okay? But one of the most basic definitions of a Christian is one who confesses Jesus is Lord. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says that, okay? Uh, you got, you're confessing Him as Lord and Savior, right? And such a confession can only be done by a move of the Holy Spirit in your life, as it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 3. No one can say Jesus is Lord apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, you could say the words, but they might not mean anything, okay? But no one could truly say it and mean it without the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, they have to have the Holy Spirit living in them. God's done a work in their heart, okay? Now, let me read to you. This is from a book um, called What Christians Ought to Believe. And basically, and it's by a guy named Michael Byrd, and it's all on the Apostles' Creed. But I thought he had some really, some things that he said about just the practical outworkings day to day on what it means for Jesus to be Lord of your life. Listen to this. He says, Jesus is the boss of everyone's religion, politics, economics, ethics, and everything. Jesus is not interested in trying to capture a chunk of the religious market. To the contrary, He is in the business of completely monopolizing it with the glory, justice, and power of heaven. You get that? Jesus will not share his glory with another. Okay? And so when we say Jesus is Lord, he's Lord over all, over all spheres. And that's why he mentions religion, politics, economics, ethics. Okay? And this man goes on to say, and Jesus has every right to do so. After all, as the firstborn of all creation, the cosmos is his work and his inheritance. He made all this. He's Lord over it. In fact, Colossians tells us that he holds it together. And probably at the snap of his finger or just the breath of his word, it could all go away. Okay. Now, he goes on to say, he says, if this is the case... So here's the implications. If this is the case, and we believe it is, that Jesus is Lord over all. If this is the case, then true discipleship, following Jesus, is about dutifully and faithfully living out the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Discipleship means ordering our lives according to His story, teaching, and authority. You get that? Following Jesus is about us, yes, believing in Him, but it's then about aligning our lives to His will. Not picking and choosing what we want to follow. Not what picking and choosing what feels good at the time. Because following Jesus is not easy. Okay? It's joyful, but it's not easy. And that sounds contradictory, but so many things in the Christian life are so, um, what is that? Seem like an oxymoron. It's both and, okay? Now, so if Jesus is Lord, you know, discipleship is faithfully living out what Christ called us to in the area of your marriage, in the area of your parenting, uh, in the area of how you approach your schoolwork, your job, your relationships. So when I read my Bible, of course, the Bible is primarily a, a book about God, So I'm looking to learn about God and His will for my life, but also 
there are, there are things that it, it calls me to do in my relationships, right? Uh, it tells me how to relate to people. It tells me how to treat people. It tells me um, when should I, uh, when, when should I, uh, when do you have, well, how do I want to say this? That's the problem when you get off script. Um, you know, when, how, how do you know when we should um, stand up and say something? Because we're being asked to do something contrary to the Word of God. Right? We've got to know what the Word of God says. Right? All right? Now, last thing I'll mention about this guy is quoting Michael Birdie. He says, evangelism. Now, what about evangelism? If Jesus is Lord, evangelism, I love this, is not about asking people to try Jesus the way you would try a new decaf mochaccino latte from Starbucks. In other words, you become a Christian, you're not, you're not trying that Jesus out. Okay? We're not trying to soft sell anything when you're sharing your faith. This is who God says you are, a sinner in need of a Savior, and Jesus is the one and only and Lord of all. And He loves you. And He's laid down His life for you. What will you do about it? How will you respond? Right? And that's what this man is trying to communicate. Listen, evangelism, he's saying, sharing our faith, it's not about trying Jesus. It's more like declaring, he says, he's more like declaring the victory of the Lord Jesus over sin and death, warning people of the judgment to be made by the Lord Jesus over all rebellion, and then inviting people to find joy and, and satisfaction in the life and love that come from the Lord Jesus. And I just like that. I thought that he, he really just expressed... Um, what lordship is in it, kind of a, 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 how it affects our lives, okay? Now, one last thing about Jesus being our Lord, okay? One last thing. Uh, and this is a quote by John Piper, and I, I love this because I, um, he, this is in the context that he answers a long Somebody had a question about, you know, can you, can you accept Jesus as Lord and not, or Savior and not Lord, that kind of thing. Uh, it used to be known as the Lordship Salvation Controversy, and th- this is nothing new under the sun, guys. Th- this has been going on for many years, you know. But anyway, he had something I thought really insightful to say about what Lordship is in our lives as a Christian, okay? Here's what he says. Now, see if I can read my writing this service. I couldn't read it last service. Um, uh, he, Piper says, says, the Lordship of Christ is, is really, in reality, is something that is not discovered and yielded to once, but thousands of times. He says, it is yieldedness, it is yieldedness to His Lordship that is at stake every time we are tempted to sin. See what he's saying? Um, he's saying that... Um, you know, we say he's the Lord, we're constantly, it means we're yielded to him, to his will. And, and, you know, if we're honest, sometimes we are, sometimes we're not, right? But it doesn't mean you don't believe he's Lord, right? So in one sense, you know, yes, we're, to believe, you need to believe him as Lord and Savior, like he, is, he has that rightful place in your life. The practical outworking of that in our daily lives is, though sometimes we're yielded to him and sometimes we're not. And that's what he means by that. It's a thousand times in our lives yielding 
to the Lord, right? Sometimes we get off track. We, we get off with God and, and then he maybe allows some circumstances in our life, you know, um, tough love in a sense from God the Father to awaken us to our departure from him. And then we yield, you know, by God's grace, we return. So anyway, just some thoughts there on, on Jesus as Lord. Now, the last phrase that we're going to talk about here, we could spend days on this one, uh, but we just have a few minutes. Uh, and that is the phrase where it is uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, okay? Now, this is the one that many people will look at you and say, you believe that, and they'll be like, you're Looney Tunes, man. You can't have babies without some kind of a physical connection there, okay? And what we're saying is that Jesus was born of a virgin, someone that did not have sexual relations, okay? And that's what the Scriptures proclaim. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23 says, Behold... The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And that's actually pointing back to a prophecy in Isaiah 7.14. Some skeptics who want to kind of do away with the miraculousness of this idea, or what they feel is the ridiculousness of this idea, is they like to say, well, you know, that word they use there in the Old Testament, it's really, it's kind of broad. It could mean just like a young girl. doesn't have to mean virgin. Well, let me just say, when it gets to the New Testament, right, and we have our, our uh, translation of this here, right there in Matthew, you know what the word is? The word in the Greek is very specific for virgin, and that's the one used here. Matthew one twenty three, quoting Isaiah 7.14, is specifically talking about a virgin. So the first century church knew this was talking about a virgin, not talking about just some young girl. Okay? So... Jesus Christ, uh, so Mary became miraculously pregnant before sexual intercourse, okay? It's a miracle. It truly is. Now, just a few things here. Why? Why the virgin birth is important? Some people think it's, it's kind of negotiable. We don't, you know, it's kind of optional, kind of like a secondary issue. I don't think so. I think it's a primary issue. I think it's a really big deal. Okay, why? Well, one is, um, if it's not true, the Scriptures lied to us. Okay? I got a problem with that. Do you? <laughs> I mean, if it's not true, what is clearly stated here and what you'll see in a minute. So, just give you some more scriptural evidence here. Matthew one twenty. Matthew one twenty. It says, now, so when word got to Joseph, Mary's betrothed, okay, um, when the angel comes to him, listen to what happens. It says, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. In other words, hey, nothing's bad happened here. She hasn't stepped out on you, okay? Um, and then it says, uh, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. It's from the Holy Spirit. Not from man. Okay, so here we have another evidence that this is miraculous. Well, what did Mary think? Let's let Mary weigh in on whether she was a virgin or not. Luke 1.34 says, And Mary said to the angel, when she got the, the news that she's going to have a baby, 
How will this be since I am a virgin? Okay? She was a virgin. She miraculously conceived, says, by the Holy Spirit. Okay? It just, it just is. But like I said, you know, the reason why it's so important, one is, is that if it's not true, we've just found three lies, <laughs> at least. Okay? And then if you can't trust those, what can you trust in the Bible? I mean, what do you, you pick and choose? I mean, you can't start doing that. Um, pretty, pretty much then you just have an empty book, right? Now, second thing is that, that it's important because the, the virgin birth is important because it does demonstrate Jesus' humanity and his divinity, right? He was born in a body, God come in the flesh, like we mentioned. They call that the incarnation, right? God come in the flesh, and it really does show his humanity. Uh, Jesus, what is it? Uh, is it John eleven thirty two, shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept, right? He felt things. He was human, right? He had righteous anger, overturned the tables of the temple. We could go on and on about his attributes, attributes of humanity. He was fully human. Now, it is, uh, it is also true, though, that he's fully divine. We already talked about that. He's fully God, right? And the fact of his miraculous conception, right, this, this conceiving without having sex, I mean, it's just amazing, and it, show, it points to his divinity, that this is a God thing, right? Now, the last thing, just to mention, that, that this virgin birth is important because it ensures Jesus did not inherit humanity's curse, okay? Um, Matthew 5, in several places, um, I can point them out to you here. Uh, Matthew 5, 12, 17, and 19, verses 12, 17, 19, indicate that every human father produces a son or daughter with his sin nature. Jesus didn't have, by biology, a human father. Okay? He didn't. Right? And so, this aspect was not passed on to him. And so it's critical, right? If, if he were born of two human parents, it's very difficult for us to conceive how he could have been exempted from the guilt of Adam's sin, okay? So, in fact, though, Jesus was sinless. Human in every way, did not have original sin, though, right? But yet did not sin. Look at Matthew, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 4.15. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest, again speaking of Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Because he's human, too. He can sympathize with us. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He did what Adam did not. He lived the perfect life. That's why he's called the second Adam. First Adam screwed it up. Okay? Jesus not only offered himself as a sacrifice for our sin, but he also lived the way we are to live. In every way. So, but it's a, it was important that he had the, 
that he that he the virgin birth be true, so that that he would not have that sin. We could say a lot more about this whole topic uh, on these, these phrases, all right? Uh, but what I would like to do is end today by, uh, let's say the creed together. Okay, we already mentioned, I mentioned the first message in this series, there's nothing magical about the words, but we're declaring the truth here. These are, these are summarization of the truths of Scripture, okay? So um, just say it along with me, if you will. If you're at home, hey, go ahead and say it out. I mean, a dog doesn't care if you're there or whatever, to say it out loud. Here we go. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And that is a, um, there's a lot in that that we're going over here. It's certainly the gospel and then some. It certainly contains the gospel and then some core Christian beliefs, okay? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, We don't have to wonder who Jesus is. We can go to the source and we can see he is the God-man, fully God, fully human. He is the Messiah come to save us from our sins. He is our Lord who deserves our devotion and faithfulness. And he is the one born miraculously as the Scripture says. Heavenly Father, help us, God. Help us, Lord. Those of us who already believe, Lord, help us uh, to put our lives in alignment, the areas of our lives in alignment and yieldedness to the Lordship of Christ. And if there's something right now we're holding on to that we're not letting Jesus have His way in our life, Lord, let us let go of it. Let us confess it. And let us do it Jesus' way. And Heavenly Father, I also just pray, those that are listening, that are hearing right now, who have not yet put their faith in the Lord Jesus, that today they would, if your Spirit is working on their heart, bow their knee to the Lord Jesus and say, You are my Savior and my Lord. Forgive me of my sin. I believe you are the one and only Savior that you rose again from the dead. Forgive me. Come into my life. Lord, we just ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.